This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. I'm Arjun welcoming you to this edition of the podcast. You know, winning is fun, but winning big puts you on the path to sustained long-term win. And that is, you know, that really sets brands and businesses apart. And I've been very fortunate to bring leaders from all walks of life to come and share those secrets. And I always thought that wisdom comes with experience and with age. But today I have a 21-year-old who is wiser than most people I know. It's my pleasure to introduce Amit Banerjee. Amit is the CEO of Philanthropy Kids, a nonprofit dedicated to celebrating and inspiring philanthropy in youth. Amit is also a student at Southern Methodist University, where he's pursuing a degree in electrical engineering and graduates in December. Truly a pleasure, Amit, to welcome you. Glad to be here. So Amit, I just have to ask at the very beginning is, how did the seed of philanthropy get planted in you? Like, what was the first impact you made? Like, how did you feel this is what your passion in life is? I, I, I've gotten this question a lot, and I've kind of been able to answer it with three different kind of components in my life. The first part, just growing up with my parents, teaching me that, you know, it's important to treat others with kindness and respect and empathy, or in like live your life with empathy and sympathy. That just kind of was like the basis of, you know, our dinner table conversations, our whenever we'd, we'd go out and volunteer every now and then. So it was just like the, the baseline was already set as it's important to be helpful and, and kind. On top of that, I was involved in Boy Scouts since I was in first grade. And in Boy Scouts, there's the big service element to it. Uh, the slogan is do a good turn daily. And so through different service projects and just through different ways to like, we, we learn about different ways that we can give back to our community. And that can be from building a trail in a forest to organizing a blood drive. Uh, at a local middle school. And so that was kind of the second step. And then the last step was a program that I was a part of in fourth grade called PAVE, which stood for philanthropy and volunteerism in education. And that taught kids what philanthropy is, why it's important, and how me as an eight-year-old at the time could be a philanthropist. And after that, after those sessions ended, I realized this is something really powerful and I can actually do something. And so since then, it's just kind of compounded into, you know, kind of an obsession. So to me, you talked about your parents. Could you talk about one of the first instances of you getting involved in an activity with your parents, both of them or one of them, that, you know, really defines philanthropy in your mind? Um, I would say I know like my, my mom's dad, so my maternal grandfather, he would tell us stories of times Basically, so there's a state in India called Maharashtra, and he basically back gave kids all over the state who couldn't afford basic healthcare polio vaccines. And so I remember my mom was telling me these stories. My my grandfather would tell me these stories, and it was kind of one of those things like, oh wow, it's so cool to give back. So that was more of a story of someone else doing something with an activity that we all did together. We would all, my mom would always. Uh, volunteer at different school events through like PTA and things like that. And I would often join her. 
and see that she was active in those areas around around the school and around the community. Yeah, that's amazing. And just to put in perspective, the state in Maharashtra, we are not talking about hundreds or thousands of people. We are talking about millions. And that's yeah. a huge impact on children. Okay. So, you know, to me, I just was going through everything you have done, all the organizations you have impacted, and it's really brilliant, like Genesee Women's Shelter, Tango Tap, Dallas Millennium Club. You know, how do you choose the cause with which, you know, Amit connects to you? I think the first thing is I'll, I'll see if there's a mutual connection. If there is something that, you know, I, I read about on Facebook or on Instagram or some kind of news source. And I, you know, I, I think to myself, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll look at their website, see if there's anyone in their membership or in their leadership that I recognize and have a direct connection to. And I might just text them and say, hey, can you tell me more about this organization? But yeah, like when determining what I want to dedicate my time to, I give everything a chance. I want to be a part of something where I'm actually doing something meaningful or um, there's a clear direction to it. And if I can't identify that within you know, the first three months or six months of an organization, I'll mm-hmm. typically you know, leave that organization or, or that involvement and try to find something else. So for me, it's a pretty quick turnaround to determine how effective my, in, in these cases, my philanthropy will be. I know there are a lot of times when people say, hey, I'm starting this new initiative. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Let me, let me be happy to join. And then, you know, we kind of get stuck in this brainstorming phase for over six months and we haven't really done anything concrete. And I'm not even saying I want an, a leadership position, but like the leadership hasn't given me any kind of specific role. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that this might be something that might never actually pan out. And I'd rather spend my effort on, you know, helping people more directly um, and more concretely. I love that. I love that. You talked about mutual connection, how you defined it. And this thing also will be staying with me is give everything a chance. And then you clearly defined what chance is and a time frame and what must happen. And also what should not happen, which is the brainstorming alone, because you really talk about impact. So this was fascinating. Like, you know, there's so much of material on you. And there's this quote where you talk about, you don't have to be rich or old to be a philanthropist. You just have to care. Yeah. Tell me more about it. Like, tell, it just hit me. Tell me a little more about, you know, where so, you Yeah, sim- simply put, you don't have to be rich or old to be philanthropist. You just have to care. That's kind of been my personal mantra. That's something that I learned in the PAVE program when I was in elementary school. And that's something that I kind of, you know, pair it to anyone that is willing to listen. Um, Because growing up, I hear the phrase philanthropist with people like Bill Gates and with Oprah Winfrey and with, you know, these people with multi-millions and multi-billions and definitely people who were, you know, well-established in their careers or have had, you know, years and years and years of experience. and you you wouldn't hear the phrase philanthropist be used to describe the high schooler who's volunteering at their church every other weekend or something like that. Um, and so to me, when I realized what philanthropy was, philanthropy at its core is the love of mankind, if you break it down to its original Greek. And, and so anything you show, anything you do to show that love of mankind 
is philanthropy. And so philanthropy is not necessarily a income bracket. It's a emotion. And so, and it's an attitude. And so you don't have to be rich to have um, love for mankind and you don't have to be old to. And so that's why I say you don't have to be rich or old to be a philanthropist. You just have to care. As long as you find something that you care about, you can love that thing and the people involved in it. Now I want to go to philanthropy kids. So how did you focus on kids? How did you start? And where are you going in three to five years? Okay. So in in 2011, uh, a couple of years ago, a while ago, actually, I was working on my Eagle Scout project. So in Boy Scouts, to achieve your Eagle Scout rank, which is the highest rank, you have to undergo a service project that demonstrates leadership. And I wanted to do something with philanthropy because since elementary school, this idea has just been stuck in my head. You know, philanthropy is so important. And I want to do something that really emphasizes how necessary philanthropy is for people. And I, I, I like the idea of telling kids that they can be philanthropists. So I, I met up with some mentors and I brainstormed and determined that let's create a magazine called Philanthropy Kids Magazine. And its goal would be to highlight the stories of kids doing good, no matter how big, no matter how small. So if, you know, you have people creating international NGOs that are building wells in third world countries, yeah, we'll definitely highlight them. If you have someone who introduced the new kid at school to all their friends because they noticed that they were sitting alone at lunch, we're also going to highlight them. And so it was this idea of this individual magazine. And at the time, we just wanted to do one issue. That would be the project. And it, it gained a lot of community support uh, here, at least in the Dallas area, that people said, you can't just have it stop here. You have to keep it going. And so uh, published more stories. We released more editions. And we also adopted PAVE. So I get a call in 2013 from the, at the time, the president of PAVE who said, Amit, I want philanthropy kids to acquire PAVE. And acquisitions in nonprofits are fairly easy to do. They're not as complicated as for-profit mm-hmm. finance, legal messes. And so we under we uh, took it over, and we decided let's. Or, or when when he said, "I want you to take it over," the only condition is I want you to add an element of entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship into it, and I want you to rename it philanthropy and volunteerism in entrepreneurship. And so since then, we've had programs um, both domestically and internationally where we teach kids what philanthropy is, why it's important, and how. They, as a six-year-old, 12-year-old, or 18-year-old, can be a philanthropist and a social entrepreneur. And so we teach them the communication skills and leadership skills that are needed to create an organization or fundraise effectively or to engage people into, in, in a cause, mm-hmm. um, all while being strategic about identifying those causes in the first place. So where would philanthropy kids be in three to five years? So we hope to continue publishing stories of kids doing good. And we also want to continue the PAVE program. Right now we have plans to expand the PAVE program to Arizona, Mm -hmm. um, at least domestically. Because right now we do it all around the Dallas area with schools and with community organizations. Um, And now we're looking at moving to Arizona 
we might be moving to Chicago or Kansas and working with schools in the area there. And so that's one element, the pay, the pay program. The other part is Philanthropy Kids magazine. We definitely want to continue publishing stories and continue releasing the magazine communities around the globe. Awesome. So now let me talk about Amit, the leader in this journey. As you build this, evolve this, how did you make sure that this doesn't fall in as you define the trap of staying only in brainstorming and instead rapidly get to action? So how did the leader Amit take this forward to action? I think a, I think a big part is just kind of sometimes impulsively trying something. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of times I'll just be sitting down and I'll, you know, come up with this idea and then I'll text someone and say, hey, if we wanted to do this, how, how realistic is this? Um, and do you have any ideas? And then I try to keep the input limited to a few people that I trust. So whether it's people involved in our, like, uh, fiduciary governance or our executive team, I try to keep it limited to them and maybe some, you know, personal mentors, but I don't want to get, you know, a hundred different pieces of input because then that's when you start Got it. getting a little lost because you want to consider everything and it's, uh, it's just hard to kind of make a final decision when you have a hundred parameters. So I'd rather just stick with maybe mm-hmm. five to 10. And so uh, that, that's probably a, a one of the biggest things, just like asking for input and then just making a, a bit, making a decision and kind of being firm with the decision that I want to make. Um, and then coming up with a justification that I would then pass back to everyone who I consulted. And I said, thank you for your feedback. I really liked what you said about this and we're going to implement it. And if I wasn't going to use a piece of advice that they gave, I'd say, I liked what you said, but it doesn't really fit with what we want to do right now. We'll, but we'll keep it in mind because we think it's a good idea. And so just kind of just trying to realize that if you keep thinking about how to make it perfect, it won't ever pan out. So just try to get it as close to perfect as you can and try it out because there's a likelihood that it'll work and it'll be perfect or it won't be perfect. And then you just kind of adapt along the way. And so we've seen that with, we've been moving to digital publications um, and that was originally we were print publications where we were publishing, you know, copies that we'd go leave in doctor's offices and libraries. Uh, and then we moved to digital publications so we could spread more rapidly. And there were different ways to kind of achieve that digital platform. We could have, you know, built our own kind of technology that, you know, hosted the magazine, but we decided to go with a service called Issue. Um, which allows you to create digital magazines and publish them on the web. And so that was part of the advice of someone else. And we just kind of liked the idea and went with it. We obviously did have our own uh, kind of counters to it, but ultimately we realized, okay, this is probably the best suggestion. So looking at, again, inspirations, in the whole leadership side, who has been a big inspiration to you and what would be one trait that you look at in a leader, which is very most important to you? I think, so I, I have a couple of kind of major personal mentors. Um, one of them is, I'd say my mom. Uh, she is extremely well organized and communicates well. And I think that really has helped her be effective 
both professionally and personally. Um, additionally, there is Bob Hopkins, who he's on our board, and he was he founded Pay uh, back in uh, the nineties, and he was the one that introduced me to the concept of philanthropy. And with him, I really like that he is driven by Im- impact, mm-hmm. and he's looking at you know new innovative ways to kind of help others and that's something that i've kind of adopted in my own lifestyle i'm looking at you know yeah i can i can volunteer and i'm going to continue volunteering but maybe there's another way that i can help this organization that i'm a part of because i have you know this other skill that they might benefit from so um that's something and then the last one i'd say there's a guy named bobby lyle who is is an engineer by uh, education and worked in the oil and gas industry. And then now he's um, a big community advocate, citizen, philanthropist. Um, and he, you know, he gets asked a lot of times for money to uh, donate to different causes and to serve on different boards. And the way that he kind of navigates that and like what he uses to weight his decision making um, is really admirable. So he like looks at family uh, and family time and personal time as a major, uh, major factor. Also, like, will his, like, how close can he be tied to his contribution in the sense that if he gives, you know, $10,000, is it, is he just going to write the check and he never sees it again? Because he doesn't really want to do that. He typically wants to be more involved in like the decision making and uh, not to say that he doesn't just write those checks, but I think there's like a strategic element to how he's involved in the things that he's involved in. So where is Amit going in life? In five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, where will I find him? What will he be doing? So, uh, I mean, you, you started this by talking about how I'm an electrical engineering major. I want to work in the technology arena. I also want to work in the philanthropy arena and I want to find a way to blend the technology and philanthropic fields by either working with technology companies and really looking at, you know, corporate social responsibility, corporate citizenship, and then impact driven engineering. So when you're, for example, if you're an energy company, realizing that clean energy solutions might be um, not only humanitarian, but also generally profitable once the initial investment is made. Um, And realizing that like you can help people and create a better world with technology or working with, you know, healthcare companies to develop technology such as, you know, better pacemakers, better ventilators, things like that, especially amidst the, coronavirus um pandemic mm-hmm. and that's like in uh infusing philanthropy with technology and then the other side is working with nonprofits and charities to integrate technology into their causes and their impact solutions so that way they can more effectively fulfill their missions and that could be anything from hey i noticed you're doing all of your taxes and financial accounting on Excel, here's a better software that's more intuitive to use and more organized. Or um, 
hey, I noticed that you guys are uh, a domestic violence shelter. Here's an app that uh, some friends have developed that uh, uh, survivors and victims may have. So that way they can kind of send distress calls. Got it. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah. And I love the clarity that you're looking both from either taking technology and philanthropy or bringing philanthropy, you know, blending both. So now let me ask you a very complicated, difficult question. So what does Omic do for fun? What do I do for fun? I really like watching movies. And I, I'm a nerd by trade, education, everything. Um, and so I also like really analyzing movies in very technical ways. Mm-hmm. So I'll, after, and, and fortunately, my brother is also very interested in the technical elements of filmmaking. And so when we're watching a movie, we'll come out and say, oh my gosh, that story was so cool. It was so much fun to watch. But then we'll also say, oh, did you notice the lighting in this scene? Or did you notice how the character was developed in this way? And we never really explored this side of him. So that's one thing. And another thing is volunteering. Um, It's kind of one of those things that, yeah, it's in line with the work I do, but it's just always fun um, to help those in need. Awesome. So, you know, as I went through amazing things you accomplished, at a very early age, you were MC at an event. What did it make you feel to be in front of everyone, trying to be funny? And how does all this connect to this Amit today? So, yeah, being in front of people, definitely, I don't think anyone is 100% confident going at going in front of a stage um i've seen you on stage you've seen me on stage we both appear very confident but i'm sure it's maybe a 95 percent confidence um or or somewhere around that uh there is that kind of nervousness that like oh my gosh everything might go south uh if you're emceeing you know uh a conference and there's all these speakers and a speaker just you know ends up in the hospital or something. And you have to kind of figure out how do I fill in this time or how do I segue from this speaker to this speaker? Um, Those are definitely challenges, but just through practice and through kind of accepting that what will be, will be, um, I've been able to kind of be more confident. And I think another thing is realizing that it's your job is to just be the audience's friend and like kind of tour guide mm-hmm. through this event. And I've never been to, even at a museum or at like a zoo, my tour guides have always been fun and entertaining and like just very casual. And I realized that that casual element really enhances the experience for the audience. And then you mentioned the element of being funny. Humor and comedy is really challenging because what's funny to me might not be funny to you. And so trying to mix the, you know, complexities of everyone's humor with my own style of humor and just realizing that I'm going to try a joke. And if it's not funny, I'm just going to move on. And if it is funny, then wonderful. I'll kind of sit in and let everyone experience the laugh. But at the end of the day, 
a lot of people will forget the jokes that didn't land and they'll remember the jokes that did. So I've, again, that was another thing that just through practice has helped. But um, yeah, I think, I think the, the main takeaway from all these MC experiences has been just be casual, be yourself and kind of drive with the personality traits that make you, you. And so tying that into the rest of my life, I just try to be as genuine and as myself as I can be. So, you know, I really like math and science. So in my engineering classes, I'm really, you know, bringing like leaning into that, uh, those traits about me. But when I'm volunteering, I really get enthusiastic about causes and helping people. And so I'm really leaning into those things. And sometimes it leaks into the other, one leaks into the other. So I'll be at a hunger organization. I'm talking about all the numbers and statistics involved with hunger in an, in a region. Or I might be in an engineering course and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we could help people doing this. And realizing that that leakage and that overlap is entirely natural and just to kind of go with it, not really be so siloed into this mindset. So with every leader, I'm always fascinated to ask a question is, what's the first thing you think of when you start your day? And what's the last thing you think of when you are finishing the work business side of your day? So one thing I check my phone, I think that's the millennial Gen Z in me. So I'll typically be like, oh, I wonder what happened while I was asleep or I wonder what like is going to happen today. And I'll kind of go through maybe a couple news articles or go through some memes. And it's just, you know, a very easy transition into the day ahead. When I end my day, it's typically, you know, a little bit more introspective and like, okay, let me, I'll I'll typically like meditate and then meditate myself to sleep. So kind of go through two phases of uh, meditation. And during those parts, it's a little bit of like, reflection on like the day and then transitioning to a clear mind, whatever that means. So that's awesome. This is brilliant. So if people, my audience wants to get in touch with you, where should they find you? So I am really active on social media. I have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram page. I have a Twitter page. Those are kind of the three that I use the most. Oh, I'm, I'm also on LinkedIn. So they can search me by name or my Handle is branded by Amit, B-R-A-N-D-E-D-B-Y-A-M-I-T. So those are places to reach me. Otherwise, they can go to my website, brandedbyamit.com. Or if they want to see the work that we're doing at Philanthropy Kids, they can go to philanthropykids.org. If they know of kids who are doing good, encourage them to submit stories. And if they want to bring the PAVE program to their neighborhood, they can reach us through the website there. So thank you, Amit. You just heard from Amit Banerjee. Amit taught me a few things. One is philanthropy is an attitude. It's an emotion. It's a very basic emotion which starts with love for mankind. Secondly, he taught me how he gives a chance to everything, but really keeps very focused criteria to make sure within this fixed amount of time, it gets to impact. He taught me how philanthropy is necessary and there's nothing really big or small. It's all about doing good. And finally, this was very fascinating was he takes ideas and as a leader, he tries impulsively, but then validates with feedback from a limited few and doesn't get caught into the whole brainstorm forever mode, but gets into action. Truly fascinating. Thank you again, Amit. 
and really wish you all the best in career ahead and with philanthropy kids. Thanks, Arjun, for having me. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, Brand Whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.